But do you remember? Do you remember back in high school or maybe even in college when you had that teacher or that professor who would say something to the effect of, now you might want to write this down, right? Or, or, or maybe, you know, you're going to probably see this again, you know, hint, hint, it's probably going to be on the test, so you might want to pay attention now. And, I, you know, I love those teachers. I love those teachers because uh, during a long school year, especially when you're in college, you're taking a lot of notes and you really don't know what the teacher is going to emphasize on those tests. And so when a teacher says, hey, listen up, uh, you might see this again, you know, we take note. And again, I I love that. Uh, There's no excuse for me to miss that question on the exam if the teacher is going to give me a heads up that that's going to be there. Well, listen, the Bible we know is a big book, right? 66 books, uh, 1,189 chapters, over 31,000 verses. Now, we understand a big chunk of that is the Old Testament, and we as Christians are not uh, living under the old law, right? But we still read it because we still want to understand what's going on there. It still helps us in our learning to understand what's going on in the Old Testament. But... You know, we often call this our, our life, you know, our life in the flesh as a test, right? That we are training, we are getting ready for the, the afterlife, the eternal life. And, and, you know, we often refer to the day of judgment as our final exam, don't we? And so we want to know those, those questions, right? How do we know what's going to be on the exam? How do we know what's going to be on the test? Wouldn't it be great if the Bible just came out and said, this is something that you need to pay attention to, that, that this is going to be a test question, Well, part of the good news, part of the gospel is that God explicitly tells us some of those answers. That there are passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, where the writer will explicitly say, this is the will of God. And then he'll tell us what it is. The Bible writers say we ought to take notice when they say that. And there again, there is no excuse for us on the day of judgment to miss these verses when God explicitly says, this is the will of God. Can God's will be known? You know, that's a question people often ask. Well, what is God's will for me? What, uh, I don't even know if it can be known. Uh, look at some of these passages. We're not going to uh, study all of these passages. You, you might see some of these again throughout the sermon, but just take note of these. We'll just quickly run through this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Well, doesn't that passage apply that we need to know what the will of God is? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, for you have a need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. You want to receive what was promised? The Hebrews writer says, do the will of God. Again, the will of God must be something that we can know if we're going to attain that promise. First John chapter two, verse 17, the apostle wrote, the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. He says in chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You ask things according to his will. But again, what is his will? Well, obviously, we're going to see here in Scripture that it's it's directly explained to us. One more, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And again, that implies that Uh, If we don't want to be foolish in this life, then then we need to know what God's will is. And again, the Bible teaches that we must do God's will. He expects us to understand it. He expects us to obey it. And so certainly we can say this morning with confidence that, that it's knowable. 
That it's something that we can know. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is we're going to look at some of those passages in Scripture. Again, we're not going to look at every single one because there are plenty. But we're going to look at some where God, through the Holy Spirit, through the writers of the New Testament, directly state, this is the will of God, that you do this or that you live this way. And so, we, again, we want to make sure that we are preparing for that test so, so let's start with the first one. Again, this was read for us this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, notice here, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but, by, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul there again, he writes that you may prove what the will of God is. What is that? How do you do that? He says, by not being conformed to this world. And he says, that's good and acceptable and perfect. The Christian ought not to be conformed to this world. Well, you might be saying, well, how different am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to live my life uh, as far as that passage goes to not being conformed to this world? You know, we know that there are communities out there that, you know, that they may dress differently and they may take different, uh, you know, modes of transportation, maybe like a horse and buggy, and they might, you know, not use electricity. And, and I don't think that what's, that's what God's talking about when he says, do not be conformed to this world. But rather, he says, Rather, do not be conformed, but transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. Right? Don't allow the world to dictate how you ought to live your life. Right? Uh, what's everyone wearing today? Right? Maybe, maybe it's immodest. Right? Maybe it's popular. Don't be conformed to the world's standards. You know, how, do you, how are you talking to one another when you get together with your buddies? Right? Is every other word an explicit you know, cursive word? Again, God says, do not be transformed, do not be conformed to that way of thinking. Or, or maybe it's, you know, how we live our lives as far as, uh, you know, work, right? Because the world's telling us that, hey, listen, you know, just lay back and, you know, maybe you don't need to do any work because the government's going to just take care of you. Do not be conformed to that way of thinking. Rather, think the way God thinks rather than man. And as our mind leads... As our mind is renewed by the word of God, our bodies will follow. You know, there was a time where, uh, you know, we would wear around our wrists a while ago, those bracelets. Remember the WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, you probably had those. Uh, you know, people were wearing them all the time. Maybe we've sort of lost uh, the focus on that because uh, maybe it burnt out on us. But that's a great question to ask, right? Do we still ask that question? What would Jesus do? If Jesus were sitting next to me right now while I'm doing this activity, what would he think? Would he approve of it? Are we laughing at the expense of others sometimes? Uh, maybe because of their uh, economic status or maybe the color of their skin? Or what if, uh, what if, you know, if we're about to watch a certain type of movie or uh, listen to a certain type of music? You know, would Jesus approve of it while, we're sitting, uh, while he's sitting next to us? Do not be conformed to this world. That is the will of God. And take that, you know, we were talking individually, but take that as a church as well. You know, a church that is just like the world has nothing to offer the world. 
If we're just like the world, if we're doing the same things that the world does, what do we have to offer? If we are like the world, how can our light shine? How, how can we be that bright light? How can we be that city on a hill? If we're as dim as everyone else's light in this world, how are they going to distinguish that that's the Lord's church? We've got to get the world out of the church. And again, Paul, through the, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is the will of God for you. Right? This is going to be on the test that you do not be conformed to this world. Let's look at another one, and this one sort of goes along the same lines. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here we're going to read verses 3 through 5. And again, let's notice what he says is the will of God for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. And again, here we have uh, God saying in a nutshell, this is the will. This is my will, your sanctification. You know, we talk a lot about that word sometimes, sanctify, sanctification, to be set apart, to be holy. Uh, to, for God's purpose, you know, you might have a set of china cabinet at home, right? It sits in your china cabinet uh, and you don't really get those out uh, every day, do you? Right. You set them apart from your regular dishes uh, because they're, they're special, right? There's a purpose for them. Well, as explicitly as God can say here in First Thessalonians chapter four, he says, this is my will for you to be sanctified Again, verse 3, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. He says in verse 4 that we as Christians ought to know how to uh, use our own vessels. Uh, We ought to know how to possess our own vessels. You ought to know how to behave properly with your body. You ought to have self-control with your body. You ought to resist the urges of the flesh. We know the urges of the flesh are a great temptation, we all know that. We, you know, it's interesting. You think of in Scripture, you know, there's more warnings about uh, the lusts of the flesh than there are about baptism, right? Because God knows that as humans, we're going to struggle with that. God knew that we would struggle with that. But again, this is my will for you, he says, that you be sanctified, uh, that you be sexually pure, your cleanliness, not engaging in sexual immorality, you know, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, that's a, a verse that you ought to memorize, that you ought to stick in your mind. I think it's probably one of the best verses that we have to go to to remind us of this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, where uh, the Hebrews writer writes this. He says, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Right? And that verse that uh, the, the, the Hebrews writer is saying, sexual, um, th- th- those types of things, they are reserved for the marriage bed only. We live in a culture where it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to stay sexually pure in a hyper-sexualized culture. Uh, maybe uh, even more so than generations before us. But again, here God says, I want you to be sexually pure. 
But we might say, well, it's, just, it's really hard in this culture. You, know, you don't know what my friends are doing. You don't know what I'm seeing on the television set. It's too hard. And sometimes we'll give excuses. You know, we'll say, well, boys will be boys or, or girls will be girls. But really, when we say that, it's an insult to them. Because right? they can be God's children, too. Uh, they can act as Christians as well. Is it impossible? No, it's not. It's actually possible. It's absolutely possible. You remember in Genesis chapter 19, the context there, of course, is Lot and his family and Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're not going to get into it, but we know all of the immoral culture that was in there, Sodom and Gomorrah, for God to rain the, the, the fire and brimstone from heaven to destroy it. Well, do you remember Lot had those two virgin daughters in that city? Right? He raised those two girls in that awful city. The culture is no excuse. We have to be a holy people. We have to be sanctified, set apart from the world. Yes, it's a challenge, but let's acknowledge that this is God's will for us in this life. He explicitly tells us here in this passage to stand out from the world. Don't be like the Gentiles, he says, who do not know God. Don't get caught up in that sensual stuff of the world. Know how to possess your body in sanctification and honor. One more passage I want to know before we move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 18 through 20, again, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your God, or glorify God in your body. That's such a powerful passage to me every time I read that because the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, your body has been bought with a price. The price was Jesus's blood. You are to glorify God in it. You don't get to go around doing whatever your, your selfish fleshly desires want to do. You glorify God with it. You know, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Uh, do you remember this passage where uh, the Apostle John says, listen, um, God's laws, God's commands, they're not burdensome. They're not burdensome. And again, to be sexually pure today may have its challenges, but it's not impossible. As a matter of fact, it's expected of you. Maybe that is you this morning. Right? And God says, stop it. Right? Stop that. Repent of it. Turn away from it. And I'll forgive you. That is the will of God. Right? That's going to be on the test. That is the will, for, the will of God for you, our sanctification, to abstain from sexual immorality. Let's look at another one. Number three, if you're still in 1 Thessalonians, skip uh, to chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, here's another one that he explicitly says how we ought to live in this life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What does God want you to do, he says? I want you to give thanks. I want you to be thankful people. Sure, that's what he says, but notice what else he says. In everything. Now, you're probably thinking, well, am I supposed to be thankful in my trials? Am I supposed to be thankful in my suffering? Am I supposed to be thankful when I've hit rock bottom in this life? He doesn't say give thanks when you're feeling thankful. No, he says... And listen, we, we don't have to be uh, happy about going through suffering. We don't have to be happy about having pain and heartache. 
But he still says, this is my will for you to give thanks in everything. We're good at asking God for things, aren't we? Uh, probably the majority of our prayers, we're asking God for things, but not as much thanking is going on. We ask God to heal those on our prayer list, right? Uh, you know, we, we put a, a list of people on our prayer list, and sometimes those people come off our prayer list. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Because God's healed them of maybe uh, their recent surgery or, or whatever, um, you know, they're going through. Well, how many of us stop and say, you know what? I'm going to pray for that individual who just came off that prayer list. I'm going to give God thanks. I'm going to give him the glory. Again, maybe we don't do that as much as we should. But God says here, this is my will for you to give thanks. Have you ever thought of how many variables in this life that, you know, you're just not aware of? You know, God is providentially protecting you every day and maybe you aren't even aware you know, that's Romans eight twenty eight. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And if you are his child, you know, he's looking out for you, isn't he? In ways that we don't even know. Things that you might not even um, know that's happening. We, we give thanks for the things that he's blessed us with and that he's granted to us. But what about the things that I am not aware of? We are the recipients of so many blessings this morning. Many that we don't even realize we're receiving. Maybe one of the most familiar passages, uh, maybe one of your favorite passages, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where the Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Turn your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he says in that passage, In everything. Right? Give thanksgiving in everything. Saturate your prayers with thanksgiving. And again, friends, this is going to be on the test because he explicitly says to give thanks in everything. That is another one of my will wills for you. Let's look at a couple more this morning and then the lesson will be yours. First uh, Peter chapter two, verses 13 through 15. Here, uh, the apostle Peter this time is going to let us know that. It's the will of God for us to obey the laws of the land. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Peter writes this. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. He says, this is my will for you, that you submit to every ordinance of man. This is the will of God, right? In a nutshell, again, he's basically saying, obey the government, right? Obey the laws of the land. Only the laws that I like? That's not what Peter's saying, is it? To every human institution, whether it's a king or a governor or whoever's in authority. Now, of course, you know, uh, we understand that there's the exception in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, that says we must obey God rather than men, and we'll... Uh, if the, the government or whoever is in authority is going to put a law over us that says, you know, you're going to have to break God's command, well, we're not going to follow that, right? Uh, if man's law contradicts God's law, we don't follow that. But if it's simply a matter of my preferences or my likes, and maybe I just don't like that policy that, you know, the company put in or, again, the government laid out, it's still the will of God that you submit to it. 
You know, we uh, just a couple months ago uh, turned in our taxes, right? Um, how many of us, when we're filling out those taxes and maybe, you know, you know are they really going to audit me? I mean, little old me? Uh, and maybe we fudge the numbers a little bit. Right. You know, maybe we're driving down the road and we get a text message and maybe we're in one of those states that, you know, are hand-free states, right? That you're not supposed to be texting on your cell phone, but, and you could get pulled over and get ticketed for doing that, right? But, but somebody texted you and you really want to return that text. And so you pick up that cell phone and, you know, you're driving with one hand, but you're texting with the other. Or or what about, you know, the speed limit signs? You know, this might be the hardest one for all of us, right? Uh, Because we look at those and maybe those are just suggestions. I don't know if you know where I live, but uh, they recently changed the speed limit from, uh, it was either 35 or 30 down to 25. And you begin sort of on a hill and you kind of slope down. Well, it's impossible. uh, You know, I tested it the other day. It's impossible to drive, you know, uh, 25 unless you're braking the whole time. It's impossible. It's frustrating. It's hard. But that's the law of the land, isn't it? That you drive 25 on these streets. For the Lord's sake. Again, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. God says, I want you to do this. This is my will for you. I want you to be people that no one can point to and say, hey, you know, they're preaching righteousness. They're preaching do the right thing. But just look at them, right? They're they're doing the same thing the world's doing. It's the will of God that you live in such a way that you, Peter says, that you silence, you silence the ignorance of foolish men, right? You do right. You do what the law says. You follow the rules. In In a culture, in a society today where rebellion might be the course, it's not for the child of God. And again, this is going to be on that test. This is God's will for us, explicitly stated, that we submit to the laws of the land. Finally, let's look at one more this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. This one might be a little bit different from the other four, but hopefully this one will be encouraging to you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Let's read this one together. Colossians chapter... Well, let's start in verse 24 so that we can get the whole context of what he's saying. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, the apostle here writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do not share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul writes, it was God's will for you as a Christian to know that he made it known to you that Christ is in you, your hope of glory. You know, we know that God revealed to all mankind his gospel, and without that, we would be hopeless. But for the Christian, he says, Christ is in you, right? He is your hope of glory. He is your way to heaven. He is in you. Last night, maybe some of you uh, were, uh, joined me out at the, at the ballpark, and we played softball, right? And uh, uh, we had a great time, and, and, you know, when I was up there at bat, I felt like a little kid again. 
You know, I remember quite well when I was probably about Parker's age, going in my backyard and, you know, I'd put on my Detroit Tigers uniform, my Detroit Tigers hat, and pretend I was a Detroit Tiger because that was my team. And, you know, Cecil Fielder would get up and get on base and Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker and all my favorite players. And then I'd be up there at bat with bases loaded and I'd hit a dinger out over the park and win the game. And it was just so exciting. And, and, uh, and again, that's what I did at age 12, right? Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I put on my Detroit Tigers hat and my Detroit Tigers uniform. I looked like a Detroit Tiger, didn't I? But just because I put on a Detroit Tigers hat, a Detroit Tigers uniform, that didn't make me a Detroit Tiger. Right? I, I wasn't in part of the organization. I wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't on the payroll, if you, if you will. I, didn't, I couldn't show up to Tiger Stadium and get in because I had a jersey on or such. Well, likewise this morning, likewise, you know, going inside of a church building does not make one a Christian. Now, now, sure, they're doing things that a Christian would do, right? Assembling on the first day of the week. But Paul says here that you've got to have Christ in you. You know, the equivalent of that is being in Christ. Being Christ in you and being in Christ, those are two equivalent things. The point is, is that you and Jesus are united, right? Being like Jesus is different than being in Jesus. You know, there are a whole lot of people in this world who are like Jesus, they do good things, uh, maybe even things at times that, you know, uh, may, may shame us because uh, they're doing, uh, you know, the, the work of God. But again, they may not be in Christ. Christ may not be in them. Right? We need to be in Jesus and Jesus needs to be in us. Well, how do we know this morning if Jesus is in us? You know, there, I, I've talked about this quite a bit of times, but there are two passages Two passages in the New Testament that tell us how to get into Christ. Uh, the, uh, of course, the first one is Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Right? Those who have uh, reenacted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ have been put into Christ. They were baptized into Christ. Another passage, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 tells us that, uh, again, that uh, through baptism, we are clothed in Christ. We are clothed in Christ. Again, how do we get into Christ? How does Christ get in us? Well, those passages tell us in baptism. That, that's how it initially starts. But then we've got to continue on, right? Continue to be faithful. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us that Christ dwells in our hearts as Christians by faith. Where does faith come from? Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Is God dwelling in you this morning? Uh, is he dwelling in you by faith? Has he made res residency this morning in your heart? Again, this is the will of God. Again, this is the last one we're going to look at this, this morning. But our hope in Jesus, that he is in us. This is the will of God. Are you living out the will of God this morning? Uh, Jimmy Jividen, a preacher, wrote this once. He said, apostasy, apostasy from the will of God begins not because the word of God is unknown, but because it is unheeded. Friends, again, as, as we re reiterate this morning, the will of God can be known and he expects us to live it out. And so as we began, we noted that someday we're going to go before God on that final exam. 
on the judgment day, a reminder that that final exam exists. And we would like to know what's on that test, wouldn't we? Well, God directly tells us in his word those things. And again, when he says this is the will of God for you, we ought to pay attention to those things because there's no excuse when God explicitly tells us to know these answers. Again, this morning, are you living out the will of God? And how will you respond this morning? How do you respond for all that he has done to you? Remember in John chapter 15, verse 14, that he said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And to do that, you know, it's going to take some, uh, it's going to take some humility. It's going to take some self-examination. It might take us to tighten our belts a little bit and say, you know, I can do better in in this area of life. But we want to be that light to the world, right? We want to be that light that reflects the light of Jesus that others can see in this fallen world. And I'll leave you again with this verse again that we already read. But the world is passing away, the Apostle John says, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Are you doing that will to hear this morning? As we offer this invitation, have you become a Christian? Have you put Christ on in baptism? Are you in Christ? Again, the Bible tells us in order to become a child of God, that we need to hear God's word. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That we need to repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. Or this morning, maybe uh, you're, you're here this morning and you need the prayers, the, the strength that this congregation can give to its brothers and sisters. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's something that you need to be made known this morning and you'd love for us to help you out with that. And we would love nothing more to help you as well. Please let us know as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.